Hello, everyone. Welcome to Eternity, where love never fails. Hello, everyone. Thanks for listening. This is the Eternity Bible Study Podcast, where we walk through the Bible together every weekday, Monday through Friday. We're podcasting from here in the United States and in Zambia with a goal to share our thoughts and encourage one another as we read God's Word together verse by verse. My co-host in Zambia, Matali, and I are both listening to Through the Bible Podcast and then sharing our thoughts and encouragement with you. From America to Africa, and everywhere else. God is in control. As always, our attribution goes to Through the Bible with Dr. J. Vernon McGee. So if you've ever wanted to try to read the Bible every day, we hope you can join us. We're regular people just like you, trying to learn more about God and walk in step with His Holy Spirit. So if you have your Bible, feel free to read along. If not, no problem. We'll put it all together for you. So let's get started. Today we'll be uh, taking up our study of the book of Ezekiel. And we're in chapters 21 and 22 today. And again, um, Israel, uh, the the southern kingdom of Israel, um, was invaded by the Babylonians. And that many of the royalty and the important people had been taken, like sort of in the first wave of prisoners, back to Babylon. These are where they're, this is where they're staying. They're... um, they're staying in the Kebar, by the Kebar uh, Canal. This is a sort of a place between the Tigris and the Euphrates River, just a little bit outside of Babylon. And then um, Ezekiel has been getting several big, powerful visions of God. And he's telling the people, the, the prisoners uh, who are captive there, about what's going on back in the homeland, back in Jerusalem, back where they were, um, you know, their homeland was. And you could imagine a lot of these people are anxious. They want to know what the news is. Um, they, they're now in captivity. And from their perspective, you know, what would you think? You'd be down in the dumps. You'd be shocked. You'd be feeling like, you know, God let us down. You know, our army let us down. Our kings let us down. Everybody, you know, uh, your world has been upside down. You've seen a lot of people uh, die. There's, you know, when they were invading, there was a lot of famine, uh, even to the point of, uh, you know, uh, uh, cannibalism. People were eating their their family members because their people were starving. This was a really bad, um, this was a really bad, um, um, siege of this city. And so, um, you know, God had been warning them about that. And so now, uh, after all this is there, these people are, these, these uh, people in captivity, they're, Ezekiel's trying to tell them that, God's judgment has not finished. And the final judgment on the city is yet to come. And in a lot of these um, um, religious leaders and elders and prophets have been coming to Ezekiel's house uh, fairly regularly now because Ezekiel was basically prophesying against the nation. Now, the pressure was on the religious leaders and the prophets 
who were supposedly prophets, to say something good, to bring the people some good news, you know. And the, the elders are, you know, had been warning Ezekiel, stop, stop making it so gloomy and doomy, you know. We're, we, we've got to be going home soon. And Ezekiel's been telling them, well, you're not going home soon. It's going to get even worse. And that's what where we come to today. We're in chapter 21, and this is, he's telling them now in his prophecy that the that the the sword of final judgment has been drawn and it's not going to be uh sheathed until judgment is carried out so uh we've seen these references to this judgment several several times in several chapters and uh again it's i think as mcgee points out it's god always trying to tell the people or give them anybody who would hear one last chance before his final judgment is carried out god and as he has seen um and he's he said over and over i find no pleasure you know in anyone uh dying he said that in chapter 18 at uh, verse 32 for i have no pleasure in death of anyone in the death of anyone declares the lord so turn and live in other words repent and just live. That's the only way. So, um, verse 20, 21, verse 1, the word of the Lord came to me. Again, uh, Ezekiel is saying, this is not me talking, everybody. This is the Lord talking. Son of man. And this is like uh, a, a, a title he calls Ezekiel. He doesn't call him by name. He calls him by uh, this phrase. And it's like a phrase like, you know, if we as we said before, it was a phrase of the day where you would say, you know, son of man, or you know, you know, this is this person who is, um, uh, um, a membership of, you know, like son of so and so. This is like this is the membership of this uh, group of people, son of the whatever membership of the class. But when he says son of man, this is talking about son of the humanity this is referring to him as a uh, a human you know not an immortal person so son of man is just sort of a big generic um way to to put somebody in a category so son of man set your face toward jerusalem and preach against the sanctuaries prophesy against the land of israel okay so this is going against the land and the sanctuaries there and say to the land of israel thus says the lord Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword from its sheath, and I will cut off from you both righteous and wicked. In other words, he is prophesying the, against the whole land of Israel and against any sanctuary that they have there, that there is going to be no safe place, and the wicked and the righteous are going to be cut down. Now, the righteous, of course, they're, as McGee points out, there's nobody who's righteous, so why did he say righteous? He's pro- he's probably referring to um, <clears throat> those who think they're righteous. You know, the self righteous, like the pious rulers, the the people who are the righteous people, and then the and then the people who were wicked, the obvious wicked people that were um, causing people to. Um, to be in such sin, so there's these uh, righteous perce- You know, there's a perception that they're righteous, but they're 
they're not. That could be sort of a, a facetious way of of talking, you know, like I'm going to bring down all these holy people because they're not holy. And then another way you could interpret this or look at this is that there are going to be good people there that um, are going to be cut off as well um, because there's just no one there, no one there worth saving. He said that over and over. These are these are no one, but some of these people he is going to allow to be saved. But in any event, uh, his judgment now is against the people and the Babylonians are going to come in. And when they destroy, they're going to destroy um, everything in sight. And obviously, this is God's judgment and um, this is a bitter, bitter um, prophecy here. And all flesh shall know that I am the Lord, verse 5. And I have drawn my sword from its sheath. It shall not be sheathed again. In other words, the sword is out. It's ready to do its work. And it's not going to be put away until the work is done. This is a work of judgment. Now, this judgment is coming in the form of the King Nebuchadnezzar. His army is going to be advancing on on Jerusalem and... Uh, this is where this would be where King uh, Zedekiah, the last king, is going to be, and he, of course, he's he uh, his rule was a political disaster. He was the king who was trying to make peace treaties with um, with uh, um, the Babylonians for peace, and he did that, and then he tried to make other peace treaties with Egypt to try to raise an army so that. He thought, you know, he could sort of play off one country versus the other. And, of course, King Nebuchadnezzar got sick of that. And um, and Zedekiah was the, the, the ruler that actually was breaking the treaties. And so he comes in and he's just going to put the whole nation down. So God's using the sword of Nebuchadnezzar's army to do uh, this work. Verse 6, as for you, son of man, groan. With breaking heart and bitter grief, groan before their eyes. And when they say to you, why do you groan? You shall say, because of the news that is coming. Every heart will melt and all hands will be feeble. Every spirit will faint and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and will be fulfilled, declares the Lord. When you read this, don't you just get a sense of the fact that, um, I mean, how lucky, how precious the gospel message is because the gospel message is the only message that keeps us out of this out of this uh, circumstance you know there's no way any one of us could rely on our own wisdom and our own choices to avoid this kind of fate and God's using the nation of Israel really as an example to the world to see what happens when man tries to do it by himself. And you can't. Governments cannot run a holy nation. Governments cannot maintain peace. Governments cannot maintain uh, righteousness or just. They try, but they just can't do it. And man's nature will always progress 
to this wickedness or this self-righteousness, not wanting to hear what is true. So when you think about it, how precious is the gospel message that we have? Verse 8, And the word of the Lord came to me, Son of man, prophesy and say, Thus says the Lord, A sword, a sword is sharpened and also polished, sharpened for the slaughter, polished to flash like lightning. Okay? So this is, the, the sword is ready. Verse 18, The word of the Lord came to me again. As for you, son of man, mark two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to come. Now, what does this mean? Maybe uh, uh, Ezekiel is supposed to draw in the dirt or draw on a piece of paper, a piece of parchment or something, but he's supposed to sort of like draw the way that Ezekiel's supposed to come and make a signpost and make it at the head of the way to the, a city and mark a way for the sword to come to Rabbi of the Ammonites and for to Judah into Jerusalem, the fortified. So in other words, he's sort of saying, draw out a little map and sort of show that this is the way, you know, you're not coming on your own behalf uh you know, to these armies. You're coming because I am showing you the way to come. For the king, this is verse 21, for the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the way, at the head of the two ways, to use divination. Now this is like to use some kind of action to figure out a divine choice. Which way should I go? He shakes the arrows. He consults the terrapim which is like terrapin would have been like a small idol or image, okay? He shakes the arrows, may be like drawing lots or shaking the arrows and see which way the arrow points, like which way should I go, you know? Uh, he looks at the liver. Uh, when, when they killed animals, uh, sometimes there was an ancient belief if you examine the organ, like the liver, of the sacrificed animal, that would give you some insight on what to do next. So these are like ways that man was using to try to figure out a divine purpose. And so that's what Nebuchadnezzar was doing. And so God's drawing him the way, and that's eventually, you know, going to lead his heart as to what to do. It's not going to be, even even he gets down to the part where God knows what Nebuchadnezzar was doing to try to make his own decisions. And of course, God is saying, even the decisions he makes, I am prophesying through ne through Ezekiel to show you that I'm marking the way for him to go and to make his own decisions. And it's not even through his own little divinations, his own little attempts at a divine decision. Okay, so we'll drop down to verse 25. And you, O profane, wicked one, prince of Israel, and he's talking about now the kings. Now you had Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, and Zedekiah. Zedekiah is the last king on the throne, and his uh, rulership was the disaster of disasters, whose day has come and the time of your final punishment. Thus says the Lord God, Remove the turban and take off the crown. Things shall not remain as they are. Now, he's speaking as these kings, you know, in person, but he's also speaking of the kingship of this nation. He's going to take off the crown 
and things shall not remain as they are. Exalt that which is low and bring low that which is exalted. So he's going to turn the, the royalty upside down. And of course, what does that mean? Is that the next king of Israel is going to be, yes, from the house of David, just like it was prophesied by, but it won't be from the house of David from any more of these uh, these royal families. It's going to come from a peasant family. I believe it's from the house of Nathan. He was a peasant. He was, he was, yeah, he's from the house of David, but he was from the poor side of the house of David. And so from the house of David is going to come a new king, but things are going to be upside down. So what is low is going to be exalted, and what is exalted is going to be low. And then verse 27, ruin, 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 I will make it. Okay, so Jerusalem is going to be ruined. And there won't be any more glory, you know, that this uh, this nation, this powerful nation, you know, from King David's time, is going to be ruined. And this shall, this also shall not be, until he comes, the one to whom judgment belongs, and I will give it to him. This is a really powerful prophecy from Ezekiel. So what he's really saying here is that after the, this nation is comes to ruin. It's going to be that way until somebody else comes, until he comes. And who's he referring to? He's referring to Jesus Christ. He's referring to the next king, the only person who's going to be proclaimed king after, after uh, Zedekiah. And when you think about it, um. After the Babylonians came through and then they, they, the, the people were able to return, they never had another king. And they were in captivity. Then the Romans came in and invaded them. You know, Jerusalem's been invaded. The Israelite, Israel nation has been invaded so many times. And it, the, 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 the city's been burned so many times. I think it was like 25 times it's been burned. But throughout history... But it's always a nation of invasions, and they never had another king. And even today, they don't have a king. They have a, they have a government, but they don't have a king. And even today, the nation's always almost, you feel like it's under siege. Even on the Temple Mount, you've got all these different, you know, different religious mosques on the, their own Temple Mount. So it's like a nation that's existing, but it's always under siege. It's always under threat of another invasion. It's always, it just can't find peace. And it's just in ruin. And there's, you know, until Jesus, you know, Jesus has come once, but, he, but he's going to come again because that city is his. And the only one who's going to come in judgment, you know, that's the person. That's Jesus Christ. That's who this city belongs to. And even today, it's a city waiting for the return of him. And so, uh, whose, whose day has come, the time of their final punishment. That's at the end of verse 29. So this is, the day is coming, the time of the final punishment. In verse 31, and I will pour out my indignation upon you. And I will 
blow upon you with the fire of my wrath. I will deliver you into the hands of brutish men, skillful to destroy. You shall be fuel for the fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land. You shall be no more remembered, for I, the Lord, have spoken. This is just devastating prophecy here. Indignation. What does that word mean? Because we see that, that word indignation again, indignation at the end of our next chapter, 22. Indignation is shock and anger when somebody sees an unjust situation. You come into a place and you're just shocked with anger that this has happened. You know, you see, you know, something, something so terrible in the news you know, and you just have shock and indignation. That's what God's emotion has for this uh, city, for this nation. Let's go to chapter 22 now. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, again, Ezekiel says, it's not me talking here, folks. This is God talking through me. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, and you, son of man, this is another reference to just the mortality of Ezekiel. Son of man, will you judge? Will you judge the bloody city? Then, you know, it's like, who's going to, who, I don't even want to have to judge this city. You know? But it's God who has to judge. And he calls it the bloody city. Okay? Because this city is... Sort of a, a reference here, you know, blood at some point uh, meant impurity, you know, like, you know, when someone is bloody, uh, that was, you know, born in impurity. Um, they, uh, the beginning of Ezekiel, there was a prophecy that they were saying uh, Israel was born in impurity, just like a, an unwanted child, um, an adopted child. Remember, but that that was back in in chapter sixteen, of uh, you know verse six. And when I passed by and saw you wallowing in your blood, I said to you, "In your blood live." And I made you flourish like a plant of the field. So that was that that uh, look of an adopted child with blood all over it, unclean and had to be washed. And so. Uh, so there's that reference to this unclean city because of the wickedness there. But also this reference of blood as a cleansing and a purifying thing because animals had to be sacrificed and the, the blood of these animals for the sacrifice had to save. You know, it was a, it was a, um, it was a cleansing thing when the blood was referenced in sacrifice. And of course, Jesus Christ's blood on the cross saves us through his blood, his, um, his one and only sacrifice because of his death. So this bloody city is this city that uh, is unclean, but also is going to be clean, cleansed through this blood, through this, um, through, um, this cleansing that is going to take place from God's wrath. So it's really a powerful uh, metaphor here, and he just calls it the bloody city. Declare to her all her abominations. And we'll drop down to six. Uh, we'll, we'll pick out some of the high points of this chapter. And as McGee points out, um, 
what are the things that that have caused this city to be the bloody city? And it's because you've got uh, wickedness, you've got immorality, and you've got uh, just groups of people who have let this nation down. The princes, the prophets, and the priests, you know, and he's calling them out in this chapter 22. He's calling out the princes, you know, which are the rulers, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin, Zedekiah, just terrible rulers, the prophets who were false prophets telling the people that things were okay and that they didn't have anything to worry about. And of course, anybody who's a false prophet, you know, if you tell people what they want to hear, you're going to be kind of popular. And so that's a nice thing. To, it's a nice job to have to be a prophet that everybody likes. You know, it's almost like today you see on the Internet, you want to you all these people who are selling stuff uh, or, you know, um, you know, I've got a good book. I've got a good podcast. I've got a good website. Everybody wants to be popular. And uh, we see it in social media today because that's kind of the society we live in today. But but back then, you know, they didn't have that. But everybody still had their angle to be popular. And when you get into the religious thing and for people's belief systems, um, it would be quite unpopular to say, you know, to say you've got to follow God's way, not what you want to do. And so I'm, there's probably a whole industry of people coming up to say, hey, you know what? It's okay. You can do it this way. You know, that'd be popular. And God just hated that. Hated it. And, and he, so he's calling out these prophets and the priests, the religious leaders. They're supposed to be guard, guardians of the word of God. You know, they're not they're not prophesying but they're supposed to be maintaining the word of God and these guys these guys not only didn't even understand the word of God but up until remember when young king Josiah was around they had lost the word of God they didn't even know where it was how many how many times do you feel like you know or have you come up in life saying i don't even know where my bible is or you're cleaning out your closet up oh, there's my old bible it's like that was them and you cannot take the word of God for granted. You cannot take what the word for God says for granted. It has got to be in your heart. God wants the his word in your heart. It's not on a it's not on a piece of stone like in Moses' time or it's not these parchments like it was in the Old Testament time. It's got to be a living word living inside your heart. That's what God really needs. That's what God wants for you. That's what you need to live. And God knows that. So let's lift out a few of these call-outs here. Verse 6, Behold, the princes of Israel, in you, everyone, according to his power, have been bent on shedding blood. You've despised my holy things and profaned my Sabbath. Okay, so he's calling out these princes. And down to 15, I will scatter you among the nations and disperse you through the countries, and I will consume your uncleanliness out of you. And so he calls out the religious, he calls out the, the princes. 
And then in chapter, excuse me, verse 25, he says, The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like a roaring lion tearing the prey. They have devoured human lives. So the false prophets are like lions just eating people's flesh. Yeah, that's what he compares them to. The false prophets just feeding on the people. You know, just killing the people to kill the people don't even know they're being devoured, but they're being eaten as if they're food for these false prophets. The conspiracy of her prophets. You know, the cunningness, the devising ways that the prophets would do this. They weren't just, they weren't speaking the word of God. And as Ezekiel keeps referring, you know, the word of God came to me. He's saying, this is God talking. He's very careful over and over and over to say who's talking. But God's saying, I know the hearts of these prophets. And they were conspiring. They were coming up with things to say. Not from me, but from their own cunningness. Just like a lion tears into people, they're prophesying just like a lion hunting for prey. Who else am I going to devour next? You know? Look at all the lives they cause to fall in ruin. Verse 26, Her priests have done violence to my law and have profaned, profaned my holy things. Now he calls out the priests. The princes, the prophets, and the priests. Okay? The priests have done violence to my law. They have perverted God's word into God that is a violence against his law and profane my holy things. All God's, you know, the areas of worship. They, they, it was just profane that. It, so it was, uh, everything has been just smeared and ruined. Verse 27, her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey, shedding blood, destroying lives to get dishonest gain. So really, and her prophets has smeared whitewash for them, seeing false visions and divining lies for them, saying, Thus says the Lord God when God is not spoken. The people of the land, this is verse 29, have practiced extortion and committed robbery. They have oppressed the poor and needy and have extorted from them, from, from the sojourner without justice. So what happens? Verse 30, And I sought for a man among them, who should build up the wall and stand in the breach before me for the land that I should not destroy it, but I found none. There was nobody to stand in the breach. There was nobody that God could depend on at this point. Therefore, I have poured out my indignation upon them. Indignation shock and anger about something totally unjust. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath, and I have returned their way upon their heads, declares the Lord. So 
This is what they wanted. This is the way they chose. And the the path that they have chosen was death. Despite all of the warnings, you know, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they repetitively, repetitively were warned over and over and over and over. Even now, they're being warned. So what did God do? I'm, I'm giving them the death that they're asking for. The way they are going is death. This is not God's, you know, choice. You, there, without the presence of God in this world, there is death. And that is so, um, that's really something we've all got to get our heads around. I've got to get my head around that too. Without the presence of God, man's wickedness ultimately destroys man. Without God's presence, man is just a short life on this world, and it's just certain death. It is death without God's presence. And God's saying, all you've got to do is turn and live. He said that, remember, back in sixteen, chapter 16. Just repent. Just turn to me and live. Live in my presence. Die without my presence. And that's what it comes down to. It's not that God is this monster with all this wrath. No, God is a loving God who's saying, if you don't stay in my presence, little child, you're going to die. I found you wallowing in your own blood. That's how fragile you were. The only thing you've had, the only way you've lived so far is with my presence. Now, there's a whole lot of people that don't claim my presence, but they're in their own death as well. They're already dead. Are you actually wanting to um, go down that way? So he says, I found nobody to stand in the breach. And as McGee points out, there is no man that could stand in the breach other than Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the only man who can stand in the breach between death and life for us. So I hope this was insightful for you. Uh, Boy, it sure taught me a lot today. So for me to all of you, God bless you. I'll see you next time. And now uh, I'll turn the rest of the podcast over to my co-host in Zambia, Matali. Matali, I hope you're doing great. And I can't wait to hear what you have to say about this teaching. God bless you. Keep your heart centered on Christ. And I'll see you next time. Hello. So today's teaching is coming from Isaiah chapter 21, beginning at verse 1, all the way to chapter 22, verse 1 to to verse 31. So this section deals with the final judgment that was coming upon the city of Jerusalem, and it goes on until chapter 24. So Ezekiel in this chapter is making it clear that the king of Babylon, Nebuchadnezzar, will remove the last king of David's line until the Messiah comes, and that's our Lord Jesus Christ. So in verse 1 of chapter 21, it reads, And the word of the Lord came to me, saying, So Isaiah was making it clear that these were not his words. He was, he was not giving his viewpoint. And he's making this very clear that he is giving God's word. So Ezekiel 
Ezekiel's feelings didn't enter too much in this particular message. So he was giving as opposed to, you know, to the message he was actually giving, as opposed to Jeremiah, who was actually overwhelmed with emotion and feeling. And God made Ezekiel's head harder than the people he was actually preaching to as, you know, they were a rebellious people. And scripture in chapter one of Ezekiel actually um, says so. Um, that, you know, I'm going to make your head harder than the people you are actually delivering the message to because these people are hard-headed and stiff-necked. So, <clears throat> chapter 2 goes on to read, Son of man, set your face toward Jerusalem, preach against the holy places and prophecies against the land of Israel. So here he is telling them about the impending judgment. Verse 3 goes on to read, And say to the land of Israel, Thus says the Lord, Behold, I am against you, and I will draw my sword out of its sheath and cut off both righteous and wicked from you. So here, judgment is now inevitable. There is nothing that is going to actually stop it. The mercy of God is extended in the previous um, chapters and verses that we read up until now because these people did not want to listen. God would have been merciful on them and uh, God said, I am against you. And this is, you know, the first time he said this about Jerusalem. So here it reads, um, son of man, set your face towards Jerusalem, preach against uh, the holy places and the prophecy against the land of Israel. So he was against them. So he will cut off the righteous and the wicked from you. So here the members, um, so here members, <clears throat> the members of the one that um, in that day were not saved. Those are the members of the church who are in that day uh, not saved. And, um, and, you know, all those who are actually pretending to be uh, righteous, you know, like um, uh, living a particular way of life. But, you know, they, they just like living in pretense and um, acting all religious, but they were not religious at all. God said he was actually going to cut them. And these were like um, members of the church, those the unsaved and those who are saved. So today a lot of people have, um, you know, like Dr. J.V. McGee puts it, the band-aid of religion over the sore of sin. So you don't cure sin by becoming religious. And this is what these people were doing. They were pretending. And God says he is cutting it off. Uh, and by, you know, his sword, he intends to actually destroy the city. Because, you know, God had, you know, time and again given them chances and opportunities to actually turn to him. Because God has, you know, a lot of mercy. But these people didn't turn. And God said, enough. So uh, scripture goes on to read in verse four, it says, but I will cut off both righteous and wicked from you. Therefore, my sword shall go out of its sheath against all flesh from south to north. Verse five goes on to read that all flesh may know that I am the Lord um, have drawn my sword. Sorry, that I, the Lord, have drawn my sword out of its sheath. It shall not return any more. So the time has come. Uh, the sword, you know, and there is actually no return. God is drawing out his sword from the south to the north. So the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. He is drawing out his sword. And um, verse 6 goes on to read. Sigh, therefore, son of man, with a breaking heart and sigh with the bitterness before their eyes. So here, you know, he is revealing the heart of God. You know, God's heart is breaking. You know, we could see, you know, the, 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 the heart of God, like the way it was breaking, the emotion that Jeremiah had. And God made Ezekiel's head 
harder than the people he was preaching to. So Ezekiel removed his emotions from it. But now God is telling him, you know, he is revealing God's heart. And God is saying, you know, sigh, because his sword is coming amongst this land. Verse 7 goes on to read, and it shall be when they say to you, why are you sighing that you shall answer because of the news when it comes Every heart will melt, all hands will be feeble, every spirit will faint, and all knees will be weak as water. Behold, it is coming and shall be brought to pass, says the Lord God. So he is told to do these things. So Jeremiah is actually told to enact these things. And these people have complained about him giving these parables. And, you know, we can, we, we saw that in chapter 20, verse 49. You know, they didn't want to get his message. So they actually complained. So um, if I go back to chapter 20, verse 49, <clears throat> scripture reads, Then I said, Ah, Lord God, they say to me, Does he not speak parables? You know, they just didn't want, they just wanted to complain because they didn't want to actually get the message. You know, they complained that they didn't understand. They didn't like to be told that things were wrong. This is why they just chose to just, you know, just not be open-minded. So if you really want to understand parables you know the parables in the bible you will understand them but if you don't want to understand them then you won't understand them it's like you know learning something if you just put your mind to it you will learn something but if you, you say oh this is difficult you know um i don't think i can do it it's impossible then you won't learn it same as the word of god if you want to understand it you will understand it so dropping down in scripture verse 8 of chapter 21 reads again the word of the lord came to me saying so ezekiel again is making it clear he makes it clear that this is the word of the lord so um goes on to read son of man prophesy and say thus says the lord say a sword a sword is sharpened and also polished um verse 10 reads sharpened to make a dreadful slaughter polished to flash like lightning should we then make mirth it despises the scepter of my son as it does all wood. So here God says that he's going to judge the city. Uh, and, you know, these are actually frightful words from God, the lips of God. You know, he's saying he's going to destroy the city. Like God's wrath is going to be felt. So the one who wept over Jerusalem because he actually uh, loved the city is the one who's actually destroying the city. So this is not you know, new, you know, this kind of uh, um, scripture and this kind of message is not new because Isaiah said it. Isaiah said, by fire and by his sword will the Lord plead with all flesh and the slain of the Lord shall be many. And again, in um, Isaiah chapter 24, verse 17, it's actually, uh, you know, similar words are actually used. So verse 24 Sorry, chapter 24, verse 17 reads, and I read, Fear and the pit, fear and the pit and the snare are upon you, O inhabitant of the earth. So, you know, um, these are not new words. Like the judgment of God is not new. And a lot of people don't want to actually preach about the judgment of God. They just want to portray God like, oh, hey, one side of God, like God is love and merciful and all. God is all those things, but God is also holy and he demands that we actually obey him so um ezekiel is to sigh because of this um you know because of you know the judgment of god that's coming upon the land because the lord jesus said the day is coming men's hearts failing them for fear 
because of the judgment of God on Jerusalem. So Ezekiel is to sigh and weep over it because the sword of judgment has been drawn. And this is not popular today. You won't find a lot of preachers preaching in church today. Like, you know, the sword of the Lord is going to be drawn. Like, you know, return to the Lord. Be faithful to God. Because people just don't want to hear this type of message. So we'll drop down in scripture to verse 18 of Ezekiel chapter 21. And verse 18 reads, The word of the Lord came to me saying again. So again, here, Jeremiah, sorry, I mean, Ezekiel is actually saying, you know, he's not speaking his own words. He's speaking God's word. So scripture goes on to read verse 19. And son of man, appoint for yourself two ways for the sword of the king of Babylon to go. Both of them shall go from the same land. Make a sign. Put it at the head of the road to the city. So Nebuchadnezzar wanted to actually decide which way he was going to come into Jerusalem. So, you know, of course, either way, he was still going to enter Jerusalem. And of course, him being a pagan, um, you know, he won't turn to, to the Lord to actually decide. So he will use divination and he will use um, necro necromancy. So, and we can find this in verse 21. And verse 21 reads, um, for the king of Babylon stands at the parting of the road at the fork of the two roads to use divinations to shake the arrows he consults the images he looks at the liver so here you know these are methods that um uh you know were used then and they actually still use today people still believe in like uh you know these mythology and things like that and you know it's more like um you know reading torah cards rolling dice or looking at tea leaves reading tea bags you know, things like that. So, um, you know, you drop down the two arrows and see which direction they actually point to and which direction you should actually take to Jerusalem. And this is what God, uh, this is what Nebuchadnezzar actually did. And God will actually overrule this. So, um, verse 25 of Ezekiel chapter 21 goes on to read. Um, now, to you, O profane wicked prince of Israel, whose days has come, whose iniquity shall end. So here, you know, the time now has actually come and this is it. So he is talking to the profane, wicked princes of, um, of, of, of Jerusalem. And this is Jehoiakim, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachin and Zedekiah. But in particular, Zedekiah because Zedekiah was on the throne. So at that time, at the end of this age, scripture has a lot to say about it. Um, looking... Um, you know, to the end times. So Daniel also used the expression, you know, at the time of the end. So the Lord Jesus Christ um, spoke of it. Paul had a lot to say about it as well in Second Thessalonians. And Zedekiah here is a picture of this false prophet who is coming at the time of the end. Um, and this is, you know, you know, like there's so many words for it the antichrist and things like that. You know, so here it says, now to you, O profane wicked prince of Israel, whose day has come whose iniquity shall end. So, <clears throat> uh, so here, Zedekiah is a picture of, you know, a fo the false prophets who, who they actually believed, you know, God cannot come and destroy the city. I mean, like his sanctuary, his temple is here. And these people were, you know, the sanctuary, that's where the glory of God was. But God actually, you know, allowed the temple to be destroyed and allowed that city to actually be destroyed. So verse 26 goes on to read, Thus says the Lord, remove the turban and take off the crown. Nothing shall remain the same exalt, nothing shall remain the same. Exalt the humble and humble the exalted. So here, um, you know, Zedekiah, he is to be brought law. 
And what will happen is there will no longer be any other king to sit upon David's throne until the Messiah comes. And there was no other, thro- there was no other person. There's still no other person. Uh, oh, sorry, the, uh, until the Lord Jesus Christ came and he's the one sitting at the right hand of God um, today. So verse 27 goes on to read, overthrown, overthrown, I will make it overthrown. It shall be no longer until he comes whose right it is and I will give it to him. So here, this is the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, from Zedekiah down to the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, there was no one in the line of David who ever sat on that particular throne. So no one would ever be able to. And the Lord Jesus Christ is the only one who was able to, and he's sitting there right now at God's right hand, waiting until his enemies are made his footstools. So when he comes to the earth to rule, so this prophecy um, actually began in Genesis chapter 49, verse 10, when Jacob was giving the prophecy concerning each son that would, um, you know, eventuate and become the tribe of the, the, the tribe of the 12 tribes of Israel. So um, the scepters shall not depart from Judah. Uh, that's the king, um, you know, nor uh, a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh comes and you know, Shiloh, in this case, being the Lord Jesus Christ, um, until Shiloh comes um, and unto him shall the gathering of people be. So Shiloh means um, until he comes. So that's how Christ Jesus was actually introduced. John the Baptist said, behold, the kingdom of God is at hand. Why did he say this? So, you know, in the person of the one that came and that was the Lord Jesus Christ, whom all the prophets actually spoke of. So um, John the Baptist was prophesying this. He was ending one age to an, into another, introducing uh, another age, you know, um, the, when he said the kingdom of God is at hand. So verse 29 goes on to read, while they see these false visions for you, um, while they divine a lie to you to bring you on the necks of the wicked, the slain, whose days day has come, whose iniquity shall end. So here, you know, um, you know, we have the expression concerning the judgment of the Amorites. So we have the picture of the type of the Antichrist who is coming. So Paul in Second Thessalonians had actually said the brightness of his coming. He, um, you know, he will put away the enemy in the last days. So um, verse 31 goes on to read of um, Ezekiel chapter 21. I will pour out my indignation on you. I will blow against you with the fire of my wrath and deliver you unto, into the hands of the brutal men who are skilled to destroy. Verse 32 goes on to read, you shall be fuel for fire. Your blood shall be in the midst of the land and you shall be remembered for the Lord have spoken so here you know that generation is to go into captivity and that's like um the third deportation that is actually taking place so that generation will go into captivity and that will be the end of that particular generation so it is the children of that generation that will actually return back to the land when they return to god so now we get to chapter 22 of ezekiel and here we find the abomination of jerusalem listed so here verse 1 it reads, moreover, the word of the Lord came to me saying, so Ezekiel, again, he is uh, making it clear that he, these are God's words and not just his words. He's just not thinking them up. So here it says, now, son of man, will you, now, son of man, will you judge, will you judge the bloody city? Yes, show her all her abominations. So here, you know, 
Jerusalem is a cold, bloody city. So Isaiah also called it so in Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21, when he was speaking of Jerusalem. And let me just quickly turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 1, verse 21. And it reads, <clears throat> um, how the faithful city has become a harlot. It will it was full of justice, righteousness, uh, lodges in it, but now murderers. So, um, you know, it's, it's just become like a harlot, a bloody city. So <clears throat> here, um, you know, the Lord Jesus actually wept over Jerusalem because of like how it had actually turned out. Because these people had, were rebellious, they rebelled against God, they turned, they totally rejected God, they turned against God. So I drop down to verse 6 and it reads, Look, the princes of Israel, each one has used his power to shed blood on you. So he's talking about, you know, not only the princes, but also the citizens of that particular city, Jerusalem. So dropping down to verse 27 um, of Ezekiel chapter 22 and verse 27 reads, Her princes in her midst are like wolves tearing the prey to shed blood and destroy people and to get dishonest gain. And he mentions these princes again and the citizens. So here Paul actually warned the church, you know, because here he talks about like wolves. These princes are now like wolves. The princes are in the midst. Um, the princes in her midst are like wolves. So Paul warned um, the church of wolves in sheep's clothing. And, you know, they are there today. You have people who actually pretend to be nice and all, but they're actually wolves in sheep's clothing. They're just there to deceive and to, you know, to make gain um, um, in a dishonest way. So um, I'll go back to verse 25 and it reads, The conspiracy of her prophets in her midst is like the roaring lion tearing the prey they have devoured people they have taken treasures and precious things they have made many widows in their midst so here the false prophets were actually saying everything is fine you know what don't worry you know um you know, God's not going to destroy the city. God can't destroy his own temple. You know, this is what they were going around, you know. And, you know, at the end of the day, they went around deceiving people. And those people who are weak at heart, who are still, you know, growing in the faith, you know, believed them. And, you know, which was just a sad sight. So verse 26 goes on to read, Her priests have violated my law and profaned um, my holy things, they have not distinguished between the holy and unholy, nor have they made known the difference between the unclean and the clean. And they have children, they have hidden their eyes from my Sabbath so that I am profaned among them. So Jerusalem is to be judged and is called the bloody city because the princes and the prophets and the priests, you know, they have profaned the word of the Lord and they have defiled the city. So <clears throat> Jerusalem is going to be judged, um, you know, because of these princes, the prophets and the priests who've deceived the people. And in turn, the people have actually rebelled. So um, dropping down to scripture, verse 30 goes on to read. So I sought for a man among them who would make a wall and stand in the gap before me and um, before me on behalf of the land that I should not destroy it. But I found no one. Then I have poured out my indignation on them. I have consumed them with the fire of my wrath and I have recompensed their deeds on their own heads, says the Lord God. So here, you know, God found no man. 
And thank God he actually found no man to stand between, you know, our sins, your sins and the holy God. And he found no man in that particular city, you know, until the coming of the Messiah, Christ, who actually stands in the gap for us today. And thank God for the Lord Jesus Christ, who stands in the gap for us, because no man can actually, um, you know, approach God. No man is that righteous and holy. There's no man at all because, you know, uh, man's sin is, um, man's heart is, is dark and wicked. And, um, you know, thank goodness there is the Lord Jesus Christ who stands in the gap for us, who we can go through to the Father. So, yeah, this is today's teaching. Uh, it's been a great teaching. Thank you all for listening. And God bless and have a pleasant day. Bye-bye.